This is exactly right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you ready for it? Hit me. I'm ready to laugh and laugh and laugh. Horse joins cyclist race. Wins. Shocking. Shocking. <laughs> oh, that thing that can run, I don't know, 50 miles an hour. <laughs> well, giddy up. We're back in the saddle for a brand new episode of Bananas Podcast. Guys, gals, non-binary pals, welcome to Bananas. I am Kurt Brownoller. I'm Banana Boy number two, Scotty Landis. Thank you so dearly for listening to the silliest little podcast there ever was. We're recording live together in Kurt's garage slash office. I'm next to seven surfboards, and it's already dark outside at 441. <laughs> it's so sad. It's so sad. How dark it is. And this is the way it's supposed to be? I this know. is standard time? I like that we had a lot of bananas send us the reason for daylight savings, like uh, why it started. Because everybody thinks it's because of uh, farmers, farming. but that's not yeah. true. No. But And it's really because of one entomologist in New Zealand who wanted to do his hobby and study insects after work longer. He, uh, one guy introduced it in New Zealand. Then years later, the Germans were like, this is good for conserving fuel and energy. Mm-hmm. And then like two or three years after that, America was like, yes, too. And now we're all screwed. Now we're all tired and panicked for a we're week. All, the whole time. <laughs> I hate it. And also with bar. children, man. Ugh. With children, now Gus just wakes He was waking up at like 5.30. Now Ugh. he just wakes up at 4.30. Ugh. He just wakes up at 4.30. Like 4.30 is an insane time. Yeah. 4.30 coming home from the bars, great time. 4.30 great waking time. up to start your day, nightmare scenario. Nightmare scenario. The so, worst. Well, damn, that stinks. Also, they have more heart attacks, car accidents, True. and like accidental slipping deaths mm-hmm. on this day. Around. Don't we vote against this every year? We voted against it last year. And then all these scientists came out. We're like, no, 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 you have to, because we were going to make a daylight standard time, mm. our daylight savings time year round. And that, they say, is not healthy. They, Who knows? It has to be standard time year round. So it has to be this year round. I listened to that. Which no one wants. Huberman podcast, that super smart Stanford doctor guy. Nope, I don't know him. I don't listen to super smart stuff. Shocking. Every white person I've ever met is like just telling me like, do you listen to Huberman or Huberman? And I'm like, yeah. And he does one on <laughs> sleep. You're sticking my fingers <laughs> in outlets. Yeah. And he does what on sleep that is very like very people are light sensitive. But the one thing he did that I've started to do since I listened to this three months ago is it's like in the morning, look outside and get that blue light and that mm-hmm. natural sunlight, and it like wakes you up as well as coffee. Yeah. And so every morning I like get out of bed, you know, bed head, standing there in boxers, just standing out the window, <laughs> just looking like a real creep. <laughs> but it does work, I will say. Yeah, I mean, I naturally do that because I have to get the children to school. Um, children make you live on a like a a very solar circadian rhythm. I know. You know, now that you're saying it, I've never thought of this, but for the last however old Olive is, eight, seven? Six. Six. The last six years, you have been awake probably oh, 365. Like you've probably been awake for twelve thousand more hours than I have. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably some insane number of hours that you've physically been awake more than I have. So I owe you a beer at least. All right. Next sounds beer's good. on me. And you know what? You we'll buy you a beer if you mm. come on down to Philadelphia. Uh-huh. Philadelphia. I always say it with a TH. Uh, well, you're from Jersey. <laughs> or Pittsburgh. Or Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> And uh, yeah, uh, with December, uh, I'll be there doing in Philly doing stand up December 8th at Helium. December 9th, we're doing a live bananas podcast. December 10th in uh, at the Improv in Pittsburgh. 
Guys, last podcast, last live podcast for a while. Yeah, and I want to drop a gauntlet. Mm-hmm. And you and I haven't discussed this, but what do you think of this? Yeah. Why don't you and I do the same news stories and tell our own stories at both shows and the louder show makes the podcast? <sighs> Why don't we put Pittsburgh versus Philly, whatever crowd is more into it, rowdier, more fun, that's the one we release, and the other one just goes in the shredder. What do you think? Is that crazy? It's not crazy. Let's do it. It's not crazy, Scotty. Gauntlet dropped. The gauntlet is dropped. Pittsburgh versus Philly. Oh my God! I mean, I mean, this is there's already a competition in Pennsylvania, and this is gonna just crank it way up. There, you know, in my experience, there there are more things to do in Philadelphia, but then Pittsburgh, I have wilder, more fun nights. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know who's gonna show up. Yeah, I don't yeah. know who's gonna win this. I, I love that. Idea. Loudest, rowdiest, bananas crowd makes. Makes the air. Uh, the other one just goes into the lost episode pile, <laughs> which of there's only three. So that's very sad. You want to hear about this horse? Yeah. Horse wins a bike race. It is so delightful to watch him go. That's fun. Um, a video. This is a, uh, this was sent in by Bracoolin. Thank you. Bracoolin. Uh, it's almost like broccoli, but with cool in there. And this is, I found on um, Cycling Weekly, because mm-hmm. um, Bracoolin just sent me a like a TikTok. Cool. Over 8 million people have watched this TikTok video of a Tour de France horse incident. What a terrible title. I wish New York Post wrote Cycling News. Oh, yeah. Because we would get like horse fucks bikes or whatever. Yeah. Horse, <laughs> horse screws 100 bike riders comes out on top. <laughs> Uh, this was written by Tom Davidson. Ooh. Uh, best in the really good typer. September 27th, 2023. A video was surfaced online of a horse galloping through the Peloton at a bike race mm-hmm. and has been watched by over 8 million people in under 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Shared on Tuesday afternoon on X, the social media platform. For Nobody's on it anymore. It I'm off. The, I'm I off. Mean, my thing is there, but I just don't go. I yeah, deleted I'm it. I'm off. off my no more phone. X for this boy. The archive footage shows a silky brown horse. Is that a type of horse, or is he just getting kind of fancy? I don't think there's a silky brown. That sounds like a, a, a blues singer from Memphis, <laughs> 1940s. Silky brown. Uh, that is like that is like an uh, orp, uh, orp Orpington? That's a buff Orpington. That's a buff it Orpington. It could be a silky brown. I, I, silky brown? I don't know. All right. Shows a silky brown horse leap over a fence out of its paddock. And into the fast-moving bunch, Amazing. it then careers through the front of the group to lead the race. What extraordinary images, the French commentator says. This is a safety problem for the riders. <laughs> They'll have mm-hmm. to really watch out. Okay, although originally thought to have taken place at the Tour de France, the incident is actually from the 1997 Criterium International, a three-stage race held in the south of France. The horse's cameo came on stage one and was later remembered by sprinter Frederick McCasson in poetic detail. When it jumped and landed on the road, it was impressive. The sound of the hooves, the sparks, the horse's breath. Is that poetic? Okay. Okay. Um, so spellbinding was the sight that four years later, the film director Jean-Pierre Genet oh, really? inserted the footage into his movie Amelie. Do you remember this? Um, I don't. Now a cult classic in I French I love cinema. Amelie. I've definitely seen it two or three times. Maybe I saw I just... it once in the theater when I was a teenager. It's a very good movie. If you haven't seen Amelie, walk, don't run. <laughs> It'll be there. <laughs> It'll be there. It it's not going anywhere. <laughs> a lot of people have known about it for years. You're not missing out. There's <laughs> not a cultural moment. Time. It's there when you're ready for it. <laughs> watch, uh, download Babbel.com and then go ahead and watch Amelie. Um, blah, 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 blah. So... Uh, the video is crazy. I saw it. You have seen it. Okay. It's beautiful. He gets so excited and then just boom, right over in the middle. And then he's way out in front of everybody. It makes you realize that caged animals, that zoo animals, that farm animals could escape yes, at almost at any, any time if they really wanted to. Also, it's like that whole thing of like running with a with a herd of, yeah. of horses. Is it a herd? Yeah. Horse herd? Sure. Oh, pack of horses? What is a group of horses? A, 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 a harass? A rag for cults and a stud? What? No. It's just a band of horses. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, ho- it's just a herd. 
<laughs> yeah, it's just a herd. Just a herd. It might be the original herd. That might be. I don't know. I always thought herds were cows. Everybody knows murder. But do you want to know about all the animals in bike bicycling? <laughs> More than anything. Cyclist News has it for us. Thank goodness. 2011 Criterium de Dauphine. Mike Landa crashed at speed into a cow. Oh, boy. 2017, stage six of the Tour of Poland. Yeah. An untethered pony nestled itself in the peloton and ran through a village before it was marshaled to the side of the road. Yeah, sure. An incident also arose earlier this year in the women's race at Stradbianch en route to Siena, a horse similar in appearance to the one from the 1997 Criterium International, Silky Brown. Silky Brown. Emerged in front of SD Works's Demi Vollering. What? I don't know. Is that a, what are those words? Okay, Demi Vollering is a woman. SD Works is, is a company that sponsors her, I guess, causing the Dutch woman to shriek loudly. The event horse led, horse led the race for a kilometer or so before it slid out on a left-hand gravel bend and tumbled off the road. Zlatan is fine, the horse's owner wrote on Facebook. A few days of antibiotics, a lot of fear, but in the end, everything ended well. Did you have to mention a lot of fear? I mean, it probably was a good amount of fear. Horses <laughs> are very big animals. Like, and they get scared easily. Yeah, I they feel are. Like. They, they really do. They really do. For, uh, for an animal that is so big that I've, uh, I've only ever known them to have one emotion, which is getting sp- like spooked yeah. by things, right? They, yes, they do seem to be real jumpy. Oh, it's herd. That's why it's a herd animal. I see. I rode horse. Give it to me in Ireland. In oh, um, right. just recently. In recently, I guess that was August ish. I went just outside of Limerick, Ireland. There's mm. a place called Castle Fergus, mm. and they have a boarding uh, horse jumping. It was so cute. We pulled up. There's like. I don't know, 15 young girls and two boys just learning how to jump horses and ride correctly. That's awesome. And we go and this really nice farmer named John like this walks with us in the field and we walk through a field of sheep and cows and they are all watching us go by. So I had a huge draft horse, like a farm horse yeah. named Bluey. Yeah. He was a white horse and Bluey was fo- so food motivated that they had to tie like part of his reins to the saddle so his head couldn't go all the way down the ground or he just wouldn't walk. He would just stand and eat grass the whole time. The best part about Bluey was about, it was probably about an hour and a half of riding and it was mm-hmm. so fun. I mean, it was Ireland on horseback. Yeah. It's incredible. And we rode through like a fairy garden where they had like fairy circles and walls and they were like, yeah, don't knock any of this over. Like we really believe like these are like little sacred areas. Okay. So it's cool. So... Um, but Bluey did this thing where I was in the middle and Bluey three steps in a row sneezed, farted, sneezed, farted, sneezed, farted. (laughs) (laughs) And I was giggling so hard. I was afraid I was going to spook him. But he said that. That's what maybe, but he spooked me. Yeah. Sneeze, fart, sneeze, fart, sneeze, fart. It was perfection. It was incredible. I think the, one of the only times I've ever been on a horse um, I was 10 or 12 on Mackinac Island mm-hmm. in Michigan yeah. with my dad and my stepmom and my brother and sister and me. And I was behind my younger brother and um, my horse did nothing but bite the other horse's ass. Oh, God, exactly. And, and then I just kept laughing and <laughs> yeah, I think it was so funny. funny and Walter just kept getting more and more upset. But then in retaliation that horse in front just started shitting (laughs) exactly like yeah (laughs) trying to like shit on it when it would bite him he would start to shit and so then it's like kind of it's just like plopping down but it's like it's this battle between these two horses and it lasted for i don't know it was like an hour long ride yeah they were doing it the whole time like he kept holding shit i guess till (laughs) when till the other one would bite him and then he would shit it was the craziest thing they're great. I actually really enjoyed it more. I'd grown up in Maryland where people ride a lot of horses, and some friends of mine, even in high school, had horses and stuff. Is Maryland the one that has the tiny horses on the island, Assateague? Well, sure, yeah. They have wild ponies, and they swim from island to island <laughs> every so year, funny. and people go out and watch them swim. Uh, yeah, there's Assateague, and then I think it's Chincoteague, which ah. might be Virginia. I don't know if that's Maryland. But it's the same thing, and it was like a Spanish galleon went down with all these horses, and they all swam off, and that's why they're there. So it was like a sunken ship. And they ship. just got littler over time because there's not that much to eat? Yeah, they're not like Shetland ponies. They're not little. Like, they're big enough. Oh, okay. to Like, you'd be scared of one. Okay. But it is weird. I will say, like, as a kid, we didn't go there too often. I'd probably only been there 
I think only two times. But it is weird to be on a very beautiful yellow white sand beach looking in the waves and there's a horse standing there crapping in the ocean just looking out at the ocean having deep thoughts like i wonder how far the horizon goes <laughs> there was <laughs> is this china in this direction or is it more like new zealand oh my god that that really reminded me of so we were it was derek brown and i it was eugene merman's wedding on cape cod cool and so derek brown and i had walked out into Whatever the sound is sure. that's right there. At bay. Or, yeah. So you whatever guys are probably facing is. Martha's Vineyard or whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so we had walked out and we had walked out, I don't know, it felt like a quarter mile. So we were kind of far out, but we were only knee deep in water still. Mm-hmm. And then from a beach, maybe, maybe a full mile away, maybe two miles away, uh-huh. a guy in a horse, on a horse. <laughs> rides the horse into the ocean and then just keeps riding and the, and it's prancing and he is like bedazzled from top to from tip to toe he's got on like incredible a, yeah a bedazzled like um uh, uh um like denim vest okay. yeah yeah like denim vest uh shirt armless armless Sounds denim vest like provincetown to got a me. hat totally uh-huh. total p town mm-hmm. we were we were in provincetown uh-huh okay and he just keeps riding and riding and riding and riding and derek and i are just sitting there and it takes it's a long time for like a horse to walk through they two feet of time. water oh yeah right oh yeah so but it's heading dead towards <laughs> us for a long time yeah. long enough for derek to be like i'm going in and so derek goes in and i'm like okay i'll be in in a little bit and then i'm just sitting there this horse is just coming and coming and coming and coming and coming and so coming weird. and it finally the guy comes up yeah and then i it was like time i was ready to go in at that time but then the then there was this horse there so he like came up and then the guy just kind of stopped like like four or five feet away from me <laughs> And I was just like, hey. And he didn't say anything. I mean, all right. And then I just turned around and walked away and he just stayed there. Oh, man. Just like just the longest buildup for like nothing. Was he coming to chat? Did he think I was somebody else? Was he whistling something? What? Does he have, does he have, old ancient wisdom to let you know about the seas and the future and time? Nope. <laughs> nope. Just an older gay dude on a horse. <laughs> Mute. <laughs> Coming right up. And then it was like, hey. And then just nothing. No chats. Yeah. And then I just turned and walked away. That's so interesting. I guess any animal that you don't assume should be in the ocean is just funny. Any mammal. when you Like, I've seen a deer in the ocean before. And you're like, what is this? Yeah. Just walking in the ocean. Having a ball. A bear. Or no, you didn't see a bear. No, the bear I was, was just nearby. Yeah, the bear, yeah that was right. it, this summer in... Um, Oh, I was driving across the panhandle. So I guess, yeah, I was at the Black Bear Cafe and I was like, cool name. You get a lot of black bears around here? She was like, no. Ha, ha, ha. And then that day, a black bear swam up in Sandestin and walked onto the beach. And I'm like, okay. Okay, I'm an oracle. The world's over. I wonder how fast. So that horse smoked those riders. Yeah. Average Very speed quickly. of Lance Armstrong in the Tour de France. Let's Average see. speed? I- I'm going to guess 30 miles an hour. That's a great guess. Let's see if the. Wireless fidelity works. His average speed was 41, 41.7 kilometers, 25.9 oh. miles an hour. But that's okay. average speed. Average, so he right. was cranking. Yeah. So that oh. horse was doing 40 miles an hour. That's wild. And, and imagine they, if that horse had used as many illegal drugs as Lance Armstrong. <laughs> he could have gone on forever and then had his heart and then exploded. If anybody goes to Limerick, Ireland, go ride horses. If you ride Bluey, just be prepared for sneezing and farting. He was a great... I liked horseback riding. I wonder if we could ever do a bananas on horseback. It would It would sound... It would sound insane. Probably. But I'm willing to try. Maybe we do, like... Maybe we talk to ER and do a bonus so that's 30 minutes. So before our <laughs> gooches and thighs are too sore, <laughs> we, we really get a good few stories I'm, in there. I'm, I love it. Give us one. This is from Crystal Hudgens. She sent this in. That's a good name. That is a great name. Crystal Hudgens is like the person that goes to the other school that throws great parties on weekends. They're like, where are you guys? We're like, we're going to go over to Crystal's pool. Crystal Crystal Hudgens. That's a cool name. That's a classic. Uh, This was in WFLA Tampa, written by Sarah Best and the Beeswax Phillips. Uber driver leaves stolen rental car running for three weeks straight to avoid payments. 
Wait, what? Yeah, this is cool. Okay. And this keeps giving. I think this is the one that I was reading. I'm like, this is a lot of good stuff. Um, okay. Polk County, Florida. A 27-year-old Florida man was Ubering a couple from the United Kingdom in a stolen Uber in Polk County <laughs> that he left running for three, uh, three straight weeks, according to deputies. On Tuesday night around 9.37 p.m., Elijah Mills was driving the couple who were getting married next week, congratulations, on US-27 in the Four Corners area of Davenport. Multiple Polk County Sheriff Patrol cars pulled Mills over, boxing him in and forcing him to stop. Um, they discovered that the Chevy Equinox Mills was driving wasn't his. He had rented it from a car company in the Orlando area and then decided to stop making payments. <laughs> Uh-huh. So he stole it and that he got it and then he just stopped paying for it and kept the car. But it's a rental. Right. Okay. So yeah, he basically rented a car and just didn't bring it back, which is with new cars and OnStar and that's pretty bald. Yeah. It, it's they a matter just of can time. Track, track you. <laughs> it's, it is a real egg timer of a crime. Um, the company then reported the rental car is stolen. Mills told officials the company called him every day and he eventually stopped <laughs> answering because they would just ask for payments. <laughs> I bet they did. Uh, According to the Sheriff's Department, Mills told authorities the company equips cars with a device that keeps the vehicle from restarting when people don't pay. Right. Yes, we have that. We we covered this on a different episode. Yeah, Chevy was going to do that with their trucks or Ford, something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, Allegedly. This meant Mills kept the rental car running for three weeks straight. I mean, the fact that he knew. Yeah. That means he's done it before. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So Mills was arrested and charged with grand theft of a motor vehicle, driving with a suspended license. And he did, oh, that's right, he didn't even have a valid license to drive for Uber, which is crazy that you could rent a car with a suspended license. Uh, Yeah. He- right? Hell yeah. 100%. Anyway, so maybe it's on the rental car. It's their fault. So as for the bride and groom-to-be, Deputy snapped a quick photo of them and drove them to their destination. Uh, but yeah, so this guy was just filling up the gas tank and just let it ride. With just bringing three it Three weeks. For three weeks. He must have been driving a lot of a lot of trips to That's pay off that crazy. difference. Even though I don't remember, gas in Florida, it might be one of those places where gas is still like $1.79. And you're like, cool. Yeah. Out here, it's it's chilling at like seven twelve. And you're like, all right. So $20 gets me three gallons of gas. Not even. I know. I got to get an electric at some point. I haven't even... God, I love... I loved early Uber when it was new. When it was cheap it and was it was incredible. fast. And then there was competition. It was like Lyft, yeah. Sidecar. Out in LA, we had so many. But there was one that uh, flew LeBorg, who we know mm-hmm. very well. I believe he worked for this company. And it was... You would ride your bike to a small bike that they gave yes. you, a folding bike to the bar where the ride, and then you drove that person's car home. You drove yeah, the customer's you put, you car. You would home. fold the bike up, put it in the trunk. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Flula did it for a while. Where, yeah, so you go like, Kurt calls, <clears throat> I'm at the roost. I ride a mini bike over. You give me your keys. You tell me where your house is. I drive you home. Then I ride the bike home. That feels it's awesome. It's the greatest. It's awesome because it, I always want to drive to the place. Yes, I know that. I, and then often I'll just leave my car. And at your drunkest, if you're standing outside of a bar and a six foot three German bodybuilder <laughs> rides up on a tricycle and says, "Get hit," folds it up and, and pops it in your trunk. It is the best thing that could happen to you in your life when you're drunk. There's <laughs> undeniable. It's so good. It was, Uber was, it was like magic for the first time. I was like, this is incredible. Cause you would just take it four blocks. You'd be like, oh, I just got to go right over there. And yeah. no, nobody walks in LA except us. So it was, it was a special time. And then when Lyft came and they had the big pink mustaches, I never got it. And then people were like, oh, it's like a joke, like a mustache ride. Like, what? Like, no. Munch and box. What? It was supposed to be like, hey, grab a mustache ride. Are you joking me? No, that's that's what I've been told. It was like an advertising thing that would let like everybody be like, "What is that?" So they'd Google it, and but then the inside joke was like, "Yeah, take a mustache ride." That's so crazy. <laughs> Bring them back, I say. <laughs> Why did we get rid of the pink mustaches? That is so insane. Because you also, it's like it. 
because it, it very quickly now I think the the brand of Lyft it was like we're mo- we're more like pro women. Yeah, we're like we su- we support and protect. You yeah. know, as Uber is just like we don't give a shit. Yeah, they're Darth Vader. Yeah, Darth yeah. Vader. But the would fact that drive it, them. it just started as like a a, a, a bad frat joke. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I, that's what I was told. If anybody works for Lyft Corporate or did eight years ago, if mustache rides were on the docket, let us know. And the fact that you had to fist bump them? Oh, uh, that was a nightmare. I did not like that. I don't like any form of icebreaker, even no. fist bumping a stranger. But also, imagine, like, because it's like a, it's a transaction. So, like, forcing... Uh, like an icebreaker for a financial transaction is so crazy. Incredible. <laughs> you know, there's like a brand new one. I saw there were robots in a restaurant that are controlled by people who um, have special needs, uh-huh. but it's like this great. But what if, what if there was like, instead of driverless cars, what if there were just cars that could pick you up without a driver that were controlled by people that might not be able to drive? Oh, yeah. Wouldn't yeah. that be so fun? Yeah. That has to be in the works. Somebody no in Silicon idea. Valley has to do that. I think that's what all those little like delivery robots are. Yeah, they, they are. They have somebody people. like yeah. Because right? whenever I talk to them, they like wink or whatever. They like they oh. respond. Oh, interesting. I, Which that. is every day. I pretty much every day I talk to them. What really? You see them every day? No, I saw them less. Remember on Door to Shore, yeah. we saw one. Yeah, and then last year we saw twenty five. It was the best. I'm going to guess that the delivery robot market crashed <laughs> sometime between yeah, last it year. It wasn't year. that useful. <laughs> it just wasn't. A very slow robot that gets kicked over a lot. <laughs> yes. I mean, even like the Brooklyn bike messenger, like San Francisco is like known for their bike messengers. Like, hey, get this parcel across the city as fast as you can. Like kind of pre-email, really. Yeah. But like now I look back at all those people, they had such swagger. All those yes. New York, Manhattan mm-hmm. and Brooklyn, they were they like were cool. They were tough. Yeah. They had and the they riz. all rode fixies. Yeah. Which was so insane to do in Manhattan traffic. Yeah, and then they made that really dumb movie with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I think. And then that's what killed it. That killed it. <laughs> so Joseph Gordon-Levitt may or may not have made a food delivery robot movie that we don't know about. <laughs> Hello, I'm Sadie. <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt, he surprisingly destroys businesses. <laughs> industry. <laughs> Whole industries by be- making uncool movies. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I'll tease you into our break here. Heck yeah. Russian woman has 22 children at the age of 26. Whoa. <laughs> Ouch. All right. Well. Yeah. Wow. More on the on, on that bunny. Yeah. Bananas. And we're back, folks. Scotty, you got any shout outs? Uh, exactly four shout outs. I seem to always pick four. I feel like it's the best way for me to thin out the herd, the her- horse herd of shout outs. Mm-hmm. But it also doesn't drag on too long, as I am right now. Spencer PPG wants to shout themselves out for passing a dissertation defense and. They will be graduating with a PhD in chemical and biological engineering. Congratulations. So, um, and Spencer PPG, congratulations. And I don't know if it's a she or they, so I apologize. I didn't see any pronouns. So I'm going to just say she says thanks for keeping me laughing during all Yay. of that. And you're Thank so welcome. You. Congratulations. I would be so bad at defending a dissertation. I'd be like, is this it? What do you guys think? Pretty cool. <laughs> who, wants a, who wants a margarita? Phoebe is shouting herself out for not letting her old friend, the darkness, consume her. Yeah. And instead has started making bracelets and selling them. She's already sold, I think she said at the time that we got this, like seven bracelets. So congratulations, Phoebe. You found a great hobby. We hope the darkness stays away. Keep chasing the blue skies. Uh, Laura Cardella, which is a great name, wants to shout out her baby brother, Mark Henricks, who had the guts to follow his dream of being a musician. He goes by boogie lights and is a dj drummer in the denver area yeah. he has a new song on youtube that i actually did listen to and it's very fun called we want la funk um <laughs> and it's music for adults i'll let you guys know that the music we want la funk starts with a, there's some adult words that start that one off 
but it's very good. So congrats to uh, Mark Hendricks, a.k.a. Boogie Lights. And last but not least, Kat Roush. She didn't even shout her out. I'm shouting her out because she did a door-to-shore with a friend or a partner. I don't uh-huh. know. That was a door-to-shore road trip. Six days driving from Idaho through and up the California coast up to the Oregon coast where she got into the water. It was uh, 1,568 miles in six days uh. to support the national parks. Yes! So shout out, Kat Roush. That's awesome. I mean, we're, we're talking... That might be Power Banana. I think that's Power that's Banana. That's a really long door-to-shore three, and congratulations, Kat. That's great. Curdy B and I adore the national parks. We're obsessed. I recently got Olive and Gus a national parks passport. That's awesome. And so you get stamps that's when awesome. you go to national parks, and Olive is... Of course, quickly memorized where all of them are. <laughs> and now she's like, uh, she's like, we can go to Palm Springs. There's a national park in Palm Springs. <laughs> <laughs> she ain't wrong. Uh, it's a pretty fun one, but it's 150 degrees or minus 20. That's what's cool <laughs> about choice. the desert. Yeah, you Why not it. camp there? <laughs> all right, here it is. Oh, a yeah. Russian woman has 22 children at the age of 26. This was sent in by Steve Shinners. Oh, yeah. Steve, thank you. Sends a lot of good stories. He does. Thanks, Steve. This is uh, Perth Now. Why not? Classic. Why wait? Written by... Mm. Mm, You're good. Are you ready? (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) No. There's there's nothing hard to pronounce about this. Mm. This is written by Bang Showbiz. (laughs) (laughs) Please be a real name. Please be a real name. Please, please, please be a real name. Just says Bang Showbiz. Who knows? Who knows? A woman is a mother to 22 children at the age of 26. Christina Uzturk, a Russian who lives in neighboring Mm. Georgia, has welcomed 21 of the kids via surrogate, and 20 have been born in the space of a year. That doesn't count. Oh, boo. Boo. Yeah, I ate 400 hot dogs with 30 of my friends last year. She claims that she wants 105 biological children okay. with her millionaire husband, Gallup 58, although he was sentenced to eight years in prison earlier this year okay, after that's gonna... being found guilty of illegal purchase and possession of drugs. Oh, boy. Oh, this oh, turns boy. out to be a terrible, dark story <laughs> that I chose. No, it's fine. I didn't. I saw the headline. I saw it got set in. And also, we're all for surrogates. We're not saying no. a surrogate, and that's not your biological oh, child. No, not at we're all. We're 100% pro we surrogates. What we're saying is this woman did not have 22 babies at the age of 26. No. I was running the numbers in my head, and I'm like, okay, so like... Six sets of triplets, and then maybe four smaller ones, just singles. So, yes. Well. Okay, here it is. So, you know what? I'm going to pivot. Pivot. But I like that we started with that. Yeah. Because there's always Valentina Vasilevia. Oh, yes. We love Valentina Vasilevia. We talked about this at dinner the other night. We did. <laughs> we did. <laughs> For no reason. <laughs> not related to the podcast. A Russian woman mm. named Valentina Vasilevia. Yes. And her husband, Fyodor, Fyodor Vasilev. Skruzalata. By the way, I know we mispronounce things a lot. Who cares? I was listening to this podcast about wild animal attacks. Also, your last name is Brownoler. Yeah. Nobody says your last name no. right. I was listening to a podcast, and the the gentleman said that the <laughs> that the Golden Gate Bridge is second in length only to the Verrazano. <laughs> Verrazano? No, it wasn't Verrazano. He said uh, Verrazano. Oh, the Verrazano <laughs> from like, Staten yeah, Island never to Brooklyn. Heard of the Verrazano Bridge before. From Staten and I was just Island. like, that's amazing. That's like a per- that's a biologist who's never never been to New York. Never I guess. been to New York City and the wonder of the Verrazano Bridge. A Russian woman named Valentina Vasilev and her husband Fyodor are alleged to hold the record for the most children a couple has produced. Yeah. She gave birth to a total of 69 children. 69, one of the funnier numbers. Boom, 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 boom. 16 pairs of twins, seven sets of triplets, and four sets of quadruplets between 1725 and 1765. 
in 40 years. A total of 27 births, 67 of the 69 children were said to have survived infancy. Infancy, Allegedly, Vasilev also had six sets of twins and two sets of triplets with a second wife. Oh, my God. Dude loved a bone. For another 18 children and eight births, he fathered a total of 87 children. The claim is disputed as records of this time were not well kept. Right. I can see some, but there, even if it was 64, I mean... It's all Russians. The next Russian gave birth to 57 children in 1755 with a total of 21 births. Then there's Barbara Strotsman of Germany, gave birth to 53 children, 38 sons and 15 daughters, and a total of 29 births by 1498. Now we're getting back older and older and older. But still... Nine months a kid. Yeah. Or or close to it. Like, my God. Here is the... Oh, this is... So this is actually recent. Okay, here we go. What's the recent one? Uh, 2016. Uh, it is recent. Mariam Nabatsani from Uganda gave birth to... Is it Uganda or Uganda? I don't know. We'll never know. Yeah. Gave birth to 44 children. <laughs> 44 children. By the age of 36. 44 people. Three sets of quadruplets, four sets of triplets, and six sets of twins due to a rare genetic condition causing hyperovulation. Oh, that's interesting. See, that's mm-hmm. what I would have guessed. Yeah. just cranking out eggs. And in 2019, at the age of 40, she underwent a medical procedure to prevent any further pregnancies. Oh, yeah. Well, I would have done that. that one in the bud. I would have <laughs> I would have done that before the 44th one. <laughs> Somewhere around 17 or 18, I would have maybe put a plug in that one. You know, maybe even six, maybe two. <laughs> yeah, two seems like a lot. God, you, you only have two arms. You only have two nipples. You only have two arms. That seems like the right amount of kids. One for each nip. One kid per pepperoni, I always say. It's got to give us 44? 44. Uh, what is their relationship like? Like, what are those siblings? I would think it's very similar to a preschool teacher who has double the amount of children that they're allowed legally to have. Well, that's interesting because <laughs> that is so true. Like, Or it's like those old school houses where it was all grades would be with one teacher and one thing. So yeah. it would be like there's sixth graders and then there's 16 year olds. And it's like you have to teach lessons that. Oh, my goodness. Um, let's go back to that one I mentioned a couple pods ago that All we right. never did. Kyle Godare sent this in. Uh, Kyle Fletcher, double Kyle story, which is really rare. Kyle Fletcher is the best in the business. was Indy100.com, so you know it might not be real. Scientists have discovered a new Antarctica accent. Remember I mentioned this? Oh, yeah, yes, but yes. We never got into this, but I am very fascinated. And we also have a bananimal who is in, currently in Antarctica and sent us videos in our DMs of her walking around. It's Ooh, summer there. Okay. No, yeah, it's almost going to be summer yeah, it's there. spring. But um, we're going to send her a Bananas Podcast sweatshirt. Okay, great. Which we have to send through Denver because the you know, post office doesn't go there, but the company that runs the oh. station will bring like cargo. Whoa. So anyway, so one year she'll get it. Correct. Antarctica might be the only continent on Earth with no natural human habitation, but it's emerged that there is an Antarctica accent, and it's very much a real thing. All right. Despite having no locals, thousands of scientists have made up an ever-changing population in research stations over the years. I I really am fascinated with Antarctica. It just is so foreign. The continent is so isolated, and the level of interaction between researchers is so intense that a common accent is beginning to emerge there despite people coming from different parts of the world. Wow. Is there like a a main structure where people are interacting? I thought they were all independent lab sites. Well, they're right. So there are a bunch of different stations. I think it mentions the main one. And there, so there's a bunch of different nations have stations there. And I think America has several. There's one like close to the South Pole. There's one that's called like McMurdo, which uh-huh. I think is a real main one. Um, but there's a book, this awesome book that I'll mention at the end that everybody should read. It's so fascinating. Um, the idea of accents changing due to human interac- interaction on Antarctica is no different than the phenomenon seen throughout history at a glacial pace, which I think is just a pun. However, given that there are very specific sample size, it is an opportunity for science to study it at a much quicker rate and on a much smaller scale. Mm-hmm. Experts at the Ludwig Maximilian University in Munich 
published a study in 2019 which focused on the change in accents observed in 11 people who took part in the British Antarctica survey, Antarctic survey. Of the 11 who were studied, eight came from England, one from the US, and one from Germany, and one from Iceland. Their voices were recorded every six weeks, and the team found that over time they developed longer vowel sounds. There was a physical change, too, with part- participants pronouncing the O-U sound, which I guess would be, ooh, I don't know what that would be. It says, quote, O-U, end quote, sound in the front of their mouth. So, ooh, maybe? Ooh, okay. Sound in the front of their mouth rather than the back of their throats. Ah, uh, ow, ooh, ow, ooh, something like that. Okay. Okay. Fascinating. Speaking to I fucking love science, IFL science, <laughs> Jonathan Harrington, study author of and professor of phonetics and speech processing at Ludwig Maximilians University in Munich, said, quote, the Antarctica accent is not really perceptible as such. It would take much longer for it to become so, but it is ah. acoustically measurable. Okay. okay. So it is real. Quote, it's mostly an... It's mostly an amalgamation of some aspects of the spoken accents of the winterers before they went to Antarctica, coming together with an innovation. It's far more embryonic than, man, this guy is a professor. Yeah. He's like, what are you saying in layman's terms is people brought stuff from other places and when they all get together long enough and talk too much, they all sound alike is what he's saying. (laughs) And this is in the early stages. Isn't that so? (laughs) So anyways, there's this book called Big Dead Place and the author's name Nicholas Johnson. Okay. And I cannot recommend this. Bananas with Book Clubs, read this book. Yeah. It is incredible. It's about this dude that goes, it's about the author went down there and lived there several summers and he explains the hierarchy and how you have to start sort of doing dishes, but then, and there's communal showers and you get your own room if you've been there for three summers and some people stay around the year, but it's very fascinating, the bureaucracy Mm -hmm. of living there because I think, I don't know if this is still the case, but if it's in Denver, probably is. I think Raytheon owns all the stations there. They bought them from the U.S. government. And so a huge corporation, Raytheon. That's so crazy. At least when this book was written, Big Dead Place by Nicholas Johnson. They control everything, and it's a bunch of guys in Denver making decisions, and they've never been to Antarctica. What? you got to read this book. Oh, wow. It's incredible. Oh, wow, I read it this summer, and I'm like, well, this is my favorite book. And I was like, I should make this on a show. But James Gandolfini, before he died, was obsessed with the book, tried to get this going Uh at HBO, and then he died. So the rights are still out there with somebody. Ah, probably HBO. Big Dead Place, Nicholas Johnson. Amazing read. I'm interested. It's very interesting. I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, I wonder... People are like, don't go to Antarctica. They're like, if you don't have to be there. Um, Because there's like a lot of TikTok people now. That are that are like they're just actual researchers who live out there. Yes. But they're always showing the stuff. And it is like strikingly gorgeous. And also, they're only shooting with their phone the 14 seconds that they could actually be outside that day or whatever. Yes. but it is really gorgeous. But I heard, I read an article that uh, people are trying We're already to go. It. Like they want to go, and people are like, you can't go. You don't go. Um, our bananimal down there is Aaliyah Green or Alia Green. I'm okay. sorry if I got your name wrong. I think it's Aaliyah. Man, A-L-E-I-A. Okay. A-L-E-I-A Green. But anyways, we're going to send you one. She sends beautiful pictures and videos from down there. It's just a fascinating unknown place and so thank you for being our antarctic bananimal sweatshirt is on the way well thank you are you ready for one scotty you want to send us home daddy-o we'll see we still got we got still got how long are we on it we're only on 42 minutes oh hell yeah we're gonna keep going nottingham goose fair new owner for famous cock on a stick stall (laughs) yeah (laughs) i love where we're going A famous stall dating back more than 100 years that sells cockerel-shaped treats has changed hands. The cock-on-a-stick stall and its owner, Ray Brooks, have been a staple of Nottingham's Goose Fair for decades. After working the stall for more than 70 years, Mr. Brooks, 92, has decided to sell the business 33-year-old fair worker Tom Smith. Mm. Mr. Smith said he wanted to keep the history and tradition of the celebrated stall alive. I do get grandparents come up, and they don't even ask. They know exactly what a cock on a stick is, Mr. Smith said. They buy multiples because they give them to their friends that have moved away. Sure. I had some people say last night, this is going to Australia. They're worldwide. 
You can get two different types of cocks on sticks. You can get giant cocks or medium cocks. Uh, they're Come both. On. One's two pounds. The other one's two pound fifty. Uh, Mr. Brooks' decision to step down was partly due to the decision to extend the goose fair's duration from five days to ten days. When it went to a ten-day fair, I just think it was too much for Ray. Uh-huh. He used to sell them out and go home and make them in the evening. You'd see him in the next morning. He'd still have to die from the colors on the rock on his hands. So you know he goes home, has a couple hours, makes another 50 cocks, and then sells them the next day. This guy's got his hands all over those things. Mr. Smith said he approached Mr. Brooks in 2019 to buy the business. This guy has wanted this cock on a stick stall for years. Yeah. But they only completed the deal last year. After agreeing to the sale, Mr. Brooks demonstrated how he made the brightly colored sweets in his garage. Quote, I don't want to disrespect Ray because mm. it was so famous and he did mm. it for such a long time. Bless him. But I was a bit gobsmacked when I actually went in there last year <laughs> and saw what I was actually getting myself into. Holy Toledo. I guess cocks on sticks are hard to make. Mm-hmm. Speaking to BBC in 2003, Mr. Brooks said making the cocks was a slow process. It was started four months before the goose fair took place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He added the family had been making cocks on sticks for more than 100 years of process, hey. which involved boiling sugar and glucose to 93 degrees Celsius. Perfect. And then they tell you how to make them. It's very boring. So what is it exactly? <laughs> it's is, just a it's, bird. It's just a chicken on a stick. It, but like a lollipop. A candy, a candy chicken on I a stick. I see. It's a cock on a stick. Hmm. Yep. That's it. And then funny. I'm laughing. You're not laughing. No, I'm thinking about laughing. Maybe we'll cut this one, Kate. No, I like it. It's so bizarre. <laughs> uh, that's truly bananas. He's very happy. The man who's selling the cocks on sticks is very, very happy. But he probably sells a ton of them. And I bet his sales skyrocketed with the advent of Instagram and TikTok. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Yeah. You take one of those to Antarctica, going viral, baby. You have cock on a stick in Antarctica, <laughs> just walk around, leopard seals chasing you. Then I really am laughing. <laughs> Give us one more. Natalie Petrovsky sent this in, and I'm so glad Natalie Petrovsky did send this in. This was on Salon.com. We don't do a lot of stories from Salon. I mean, I can't. I used to read Salon.com. In New York? 2002. All the time. All the time. Salon and Slate. I was on them all the time. Salon and Slate. And Gawker even for a while. And all. How, How the mighty have fallen. Wild pig-like animals are tearing up an Arizona golf course, and the internet is delighted. Mm-hmm, I bet. Yes, they are. This was written by Ray Beston, the wild pig-like animals, Hodges. <laughs> um, Ray, sorry to insult you. Um, unstoppable javelinas love coyote pee like it's bacon bits in their salad. <laughs> and here's why golf courses are peeved. She is an ego vengeance iconoclast who loves coyote pee and running at manic speeds. She's an unstoppable chaos queen with a stink nipple on her butt who turns luxury Arizona golf courses into free-range charcuterie boards with her grubworm girl dinner. Oh, grubworm girl dinner. I know what that is. Okay. That reference isn't more than one month old. She's a gorilla. War- she's a gorilla class warfare legend whose maiden call sounds like the hissing war garble of a cappuccino machine milk steamer. He is having fun. Yeah, he or she. Ray is R A E. I guess it's probably a she or they. Uh, she's the internet's most beloved trash eating ungulate, the uncompromising, the indefatigable, <laughs> the lovely Javelina. My. God, this is a good opening. It's interesting that Salon's not as popular anymore. And if you haven't seen her species' latest tour of havoc through the high in Sedona golf course, you're missing him. Missing out. A massive herd of between 100 and 150 wild javelina, a.k.a. skunk pigs. Skunk pigs, really? I know. I guess they got a stink nipple on their butt. Thank you. Have been terrorizing the water-guzzling Seven Canyons Golf Club in the state's uh, something National Forest. So let's go with Co- Coconino. Coconino. Coconino National okay. Forest. Olive probably knows about it. <laughs> Leaving club owners searching for solutions in the wake of the Javelina's destruction for the past six weeks. Um, 30 to 50 Hellcatting Javelina squadrons have been raising the course turf annually during their fall rush. Nice. But Assistant Superintendent M. Casey says the hunger-driven Javelina insurgents are wrecking shops so hard this year that the course has to spend 50 hours a week repairing the damages. So the photos, which we'll post in the story headline, they basically go to the middle of the fairway where all the grass is, and they just 
destroy it like a rototiller, like turn it up and chomp through it. And I mean, they're really messing it up. It's not just like just digging and putting their little snoots in the grass. Oh my God. Yeah, they are. They, they are really devastating are. This. It's pretty incredible. They're like a rototiller just going right through a, the middle of a fairway. It is. Yeah, it is just. <laughs> they're really it's, picking it it's all up. crazy. It is pretty amazing. Um, so they do a little video that's posted on social media. If you're listening to this at work and you're very bored, go ahead and look it up. It's very fascinating. The video has since racked up more than 25 million views as online throngs flock to hashtag Team Javelina, cheering on the wild hogs, berserker mode, reclamation of their natural habitat. But the general manager, I did highlight this in my mm-hmm. notes, Seven Canyons general manager Dave Bisbee has been on the case. He said, um, with wildlife officials providing a club and a tally of the squadrons. <laughs> I mean, writing is hilarious. <laughs> it's so dramatic. Um, Bisbee has tried a few different tactics on the Javelina and says the club wants to, quote, figure out a way to coexist with them, yeah. which is good. They're not just walking out there with machine guns and shooting Javelina. Yeah, I mean, it's also crazy. I am like, I just looked looked it up. There is not, I just, just imaged Google image search this. Yeah. There is not one like image that's not like, we love Javelina. Yes. There's a one where it's a Javelina, a fire underneath saying, I'm joining the war of Javelina on the side of Javelina. And also they're, they're kind of cute. They're adorable. That is why this works. They're adorable. They're, I mean, I almost think I've been looking at all. I, I almost think because I've been looking at them, I was like, wait, are all of these babies? And it's, it can't be that every image of Javelina is a baby Javelina. They're like it's, little spotted warthog looking things. Yeah, but they look kind of it, like they look cutie cute cute. They are cutie cutes. They probably stink so bad. Ooh. You would dry heave just. Junk, I mean, but it's funny to imagine people dry heaving while golfing. That's very <laughs> funny. <laughs> just really the guy fun. on the backswing. <laughs> Um, so they did all this stuff where they dumped all this crap all over it didn't work they sprinkled granules of coyote urine around the course but did that stop javelinas hell no they love it these little freaks absolutely loved it (laughs) (laughs) the skunk pigs went berserk at like doing bumps of cocaine on coyote piss at the club i mean Ah. ray hodges you dog you're going for it Um, but so th- I'll just jump to the end. The solution um, they're using like, oh, now Bisbee says the club is working with restaurant suppliers to scorch the grass with one million Scoville unit chili oil that the club can spray all over the turf without killing it. Whoa. So they're spraying it with hot sauce, basically. And then everyone who golfs, whenever they pick oh, up you, their or ball. rub your eye. And rub your eye. Dude. That's maybe, crazy. I think maybe we just... I think this is no longer a golf course. Yeah. I think this Just is a javelina habitat. I think we lost this battle. So anyways, good for uh, Bisbee, the general manager of the course, for at least trying to figure out a way to coexist. But I don't know. It seems like an uphill battle to me. Uh, well, that was great. Well, congratulations, Scotty. Thanks. We did another. Six six stories this time. Well, it was sort of a yard sale. It was a little bit of a yard sale. And uh, God bless it. Yeah. Well, folks... Remember, Pittsburgh versus Philly. That's a very real battle. Yeah, the gauntlet has been dropped. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you, Lisa Maggot, our real full human part-time employee, Katie Levine, our wonderful producer, and all the wonderful people at the Exactly Right Network who we love. Bananas. Bananas. Bananas is an Exactly Right Media production. Our producer and engineer is Katie Levine. The Catchy Bananas theme song was composed and performed by Kahan. Artwork for Bananas was designed by Travis Millard. And our benevolent overlords are the great Karen Kilgariff and Georgia Hardstark. And Lisa Maggot is our full human, not a robot intern. Bananas. Bananimals, follow Bananas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love what you hear, feel free to rate and review our little show. And of course, please visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase Bananas merch.